a while back I found out that if you buy a, a book, an e-book on Amazon, and if you highlight something in it, Amazon knows it. And they keep track of when you highlight your e-book. Research also showed that the book that is most highlighted is this one, the Bible. And there is a passage that they have found is highlighted more than any other passage in the Bible by those who are reading the Bible e-version. Huh? It's not this passage that we're studying. It's not the Lord's Prayer. It's not the Lord's Prayer. It's not the, um, excuse me. It's not the Lord's Prayer. It's not John 3.16. It's not Psalm 23. It's a verse or two verses about worry. Some of you might know what it is. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious or don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the most highlighted passage. It's about worry, and that if you pray, God hears you, and God gives you peace. We are worriers, and so often I think we come to the Word of God, and we, we want God to say, it's going to be okay. And that's exactly what God's Word does. Now, the passage we're looking at today is not a passage about every specific worry you have, but it is a passage about the big one. And the big worry that uh, everyone in the world knows about is what happens to us after we die? Where will I be one moment after I die? Because if you have confidence about where you'll be after you die, that translates into confidence about how you live this life. When, when eternity is taken care of, then you can live this life with confidence as well. And that's what Jesus was talking about to his disciples here in John 14. In John 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples the night before Jesus would be crucified and die. And he assured his disciples that day, and any of us who are reading this or hearing this now, that he is preparing a place in heaven for us. So don't worry about death. Jesus loves you so much that he is preparing a place for you in heaven. Let's read the first three verses of John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. That's basically saying, don't worry. Believe in God, believe also in me. Why? Verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So he, so he tells his disciples, do not let your heart be troubled, because they should be terrified at that time, because they realize that Jesus is being threatened. And Jesus has talked about leaving them, and they were they had every reason to be terrified. They, later on that same evening in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas, who had been one of their ministry partners, would betray Jesus. And soldiers would arrest Jesus. And the political and religious leaders would have a sham of a trial and condemn Jesus and eventually crucify him. 
Why wouldn't you be terrified? Jesus knew they'd be terrified in the coming hours. And so he said, don't let your heart be troubled. What antidote is stronger than the worry poison? And who would have the authority to tell us that we don't need to worry about what happens after we die? Only God. Only God. And that's why he said in verse 2, believe in God, believe also in me. You see the equation? If you believe in God, you believe in Jesus because Jesus actually is God. And his miracles proved that he was God. So he goes on to say, I'm going to prepare in my father's house are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. In my father's house. How could Jesus know what's in the father's house? It's because he came from the father's house. The father's house is a way of describing heaven, but in a very personal way. Jesus had come from heaven to earth, and so he knew exactly what the father's house looked like. He had been there from all eternity because Jesus is God and he be God became man. In my father's house are many rooms. So it's a great description of heaven. The Bible teaches that heaven is a very real and very physical place. Revelation 21 describes the heavenly city or the new Jerusalem where believers in Christ will be living forever. It describes even how, how large it is. It is like about a 1,400 square mile cubed. So, so we picture 1,400 square miles, but not just square miles on a flat, but cubed. It's an incredible amount of space, the dimensions of the city where we will be. And Jesus says it's like the house where God lives and there's many rooms, plural, individual accommodations in some sense, it seems. Rooms, suites. One translation says mansions. I can only imagine. See, people have imagined heaven so many times in such vague terms, like it's a, a state of mind or something foggy and, and uh, vague, but it's a physical place, and we'll be there in physical bodies, but not this physical body, this body resurrected, this body transformed so it can live eternally. We won't be sitting in heaven on clouds playing harps, okay? Just, you can't put that one away. The Bible never says that. And we won't be sitting in a church service that can sometimes be boring. That's good. And we don't become angels. Angels are angels, and people are people, and we who are people are always people. But we will be there in heaven, in the city that God has prepared for us. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So, Jesus is saying, before the cross, I'm going to leave. And that's exactly what happened. He died, he rose again. And then in Acts chapter 1, he left. He ascended to heaven. He says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you can be where I am. So we're going to go up and be with him. Incredible promise. And exactly that happened because in Acts 1, he did ascend, and someday he will, he, he did ascend, and someday he will descend in what we call the rapture. Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians 
15 in 1 Thessalonians 4 describes how there's going to be a moment on earth when there's going to be the trump of God will sound and the dead in Christ, those who have died as believers in Christ, will be raised as will be, will, 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 will be raised in resurrection. And then if you're alive at that time, you won't even die. And so there'll be some who won't die, those who are alive at that event, but those who have died will be raised, and those who are alive that are believers in Christ at that time will be joined together with Christ and will be forever with the Lord. Isn't that an amazing promise? That's our future, folks. That's our future as believers. I remember as a young child, I would sometimes, uh, I remember one particular time asking my mom, what is heaven like? And I told her I was afraid to go there. But, okay, I don't know if I was six or seven or eight or whatever, and it's like, all I know is this farmhouse in Kansas, and I know my family, and, and I don't want to leave, okay? And, and all my mom said was, you can be sure it's something wonderful and better than all of this. It's a matter of trusting God. Believe in God. Believe also in me. We can believe that. My mom and dad thought about heaven very personally, and... If you've lost someone close, you do too. When I was five years old, my sister Sharon uh, died of leukemia, 13-year-old, eighth grader. And so mom and dad had been there when they lowered her young body into a grave in the cemetery behind the rural church a few miles from our farm in Kansas. But mom and dad were always assured that someday they would be with Sharon and be with Christ in heaven. And indeed they are now. So where is Sharon? Where is, where is our dear friend that we lost as a church? Pastor Seth, who envisioned, planned, and organized the Worship in the Park event the last two years, right? He is with Jesus in heaven. How do we know? Because of the promises of God and because he had put his faith in Christ alone, just like my sister Sharon, and just like I trust everyone who is hearing these words. Because Jesus told his disciples that night, don't worry, I'm preparing heaven for you. So the obvious question is, how can we know if we will be in heaven one moment after we die? Verse 4, 5, and 6. You know the way, this is Jesus talking, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas, that's one of the disciples, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. That's, remember, heaven, Father's house. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. So the only way to the Father in heaven is through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Think of those three terms. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the path. I am the, I am the one who provides the way. It's the only way you can get there because he is going to pay the way to the Father. I am the way. I am the truth. This is the only truth. So, so there's not multiple truths. There's not multiple ways to heaven. He is the way, the truth. And Jesus says, and the life. I am the life. He's the only one who can take us from this life, and this life is very real. We're all alive, right? And he's going to take us from this life to that 
life, eternal life, in the glorious new resurrected body. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the only way. If you do a uh, survey and ask like 100 people in Port Washington, what do they believe about God and about heaven and hell? What do you suppose you'd hear? Well, it so happens that the Gallup polling people polled Americans on those three questions just earlier this year in May. I was actually kind of surprised at the results. Of the Americans that they polled, 74%, that's three-fourths, said they believe that God is real. 74%. 67%, that's two-thirds, believe that heaven is real. And a little bit less, 59%, said they believe that hell is real. I actually think that's kind of a, a strong showing for belief in three invisible things that we know about through the Bible. But you know, the poll did not ask another very important question that really the most important question that Thomas asked, and that is they didn't ask the question, how do you get to heaven? And so I don't have a poll to prove that, but I just know the answers that I've been hearing through the past decades here in this, these communities. And here's basically the answers I've heard from people who do indeed believe there is a God, believe there is a heaven, and believe there is a hell. Number one, I hear the answer, well, the way you get to heaven is by being good. Good people go to heaven. And the other one is really quite similar. And that would be, you get to heaven by believing in some religion sincerely. Some religion, sincerely, any religion, religious people go to heaven. So good people go to heaven, religious people go to heaven. Let's just think about those answers. Option number one, if, if, it's, if it were true that goodness gets you to heaven, that means that God has a goodness meter of some kind, right? Because he has to measure how good is good enough. It's like making the cut for, for the PGA Tour or making the majors instead of the minors or whatever. You've got to have a goodness meter that determines. So that means that there would be some people who will be really close, but they don't make it. They go to hell. And it probably means that there will be some people who weren't always that nice. And they're actually going to be there. They're going to barely make it to heaven if there were a goodness meter. So think about that option. Second option is, well, if you follow any religion sincerely, you can get to heaven. Which means that then God would have to have like an approved list of religions or, or churches, right? And so probably the devil worshipers wouldn't uh, qualify and... And there's other, other religions that can do some pretty evil things, or maybe they oppress women or something, and, and so maybe they don't qualify. But, but if, you have to imagine that God would either both have a goodness meter and a list of qualified religions. But Jesus didn't say, and the Bible doesn't say, that there is a goodness meter or there's a list of qualifying religions. What does it say? Jesus said that he personally is the only way to heaven i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me it is a very exclusive message just think about that why is that true because since jesus said that it is either true or it's a lie if he said he was the only way it's, a, it's either true or 
It's a lie. If, if you can actually get to heaven through any religion, even without Jesus, then Jesus was lying. And if you can get to heaven by just being good, but you don't need Jesus, Jesus was lying. And if Jesus was lying, Jesus isn't even good. So just trying to follow the, the thought here. So when Jesus claimed that no one comes to the Father but by him, that is exclusive. The Bible does not teach there are many ways to heaven. It teaches that there is one way to heaven. And why is that? Because there is one God who created all things. And he, had, he sent one solution to our sin problem, the cross. And so if there's one God, and there's only one solution to the problem that would keep us from heaven, and that was Jesus. That's why Jesus would be the only way, which is what the other scriptures tell us. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we can be saved. So there's no other way or person besides Jesus that can save us. Why is that? 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. 1 Timothy 2, 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. It's the man, Christ Jesus, the cross. Only Jesus can make mankind right before a holy God. No other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No other way. So what's that... What does that mean about the other religions in the world? Listen carefully. God is not against the people of other religions. But God is against the falsehoods of other religions. And a religion is not good if it is not true. Right? If you have a disease and there's only one medication that can cure you, it's not good if you just go to a pharmacist's shelf and just take off any medication and just take it, right? Because there's only one that will cure you. So it's not good. Actually, it'll be tragic. And I actually read a story a few years back about something like that when CNN reported about a 28-year-old young woman in Russia who had a minor surgery. It's a sad story. But after the surgery, someone mistakenly put the wrong medication in her IV, put formaldehyde in instead of the medication she was supposed to receive. And three weeks later, she died because she was given the wrong solution. The gospel is good news because it is the right solution and the only cure we have for sin. There really is only one way to heaven. God, who is good, created all of the universe, created all of us. And he knew that we would sin. And in our sin, he still loved us, and so he gave us the one solution to sin, and it was for him to come himself in his perfection, to come in the flesh, in human form, that's the person of Jesus, and die on the cross to pay the only payment for sin. And only God could make that payment. Our goodness could not make that payment because our goodness always falls short, but his goodness was perfect, and so he could make the only payment for sin. And so Jesus was saying truthfully, foundationally, this is the most important issue. No one can come to the Father, Jesus said, except through me. So how can you know for sure that you will be in heaven one moment after you die? I like to explain it as bad news and good news. The bad news about us, the good news is about Christ. Two points each. Number one, we are all sinners. 
That's bad news. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. God's glory describes his perfectness. God's glory describes the standard by which we would have to qualify to be in a perfect heaven. How good would you have to be to be in a perfect heaven? You have to be perfect. We all fall short. Do you realize how instantly that changes everything about religion or good works? Because actually nobody qualifies for heaven, it's saying. We all fall short. If you were to hand everyone in this room a baseball, take us to the shore of Port Washington here, and say, throw the ball to Michigan, we're all going to fall short. Some might throw it four or five times other than others, but we're all falling short, and that's just how we fall short. That's the bad news. We are all sinners. The second part of the bad news is that the penalty of sin is death, death eternally. So, so the bad news actually gets worse. The penalty that we deserve is death. Romans 6 verse 23 says the wages of sin is death. So the penalty that we have earned, like wages, the penalty that we deserve is death. And the contrast there is actually eternal life and eternal death, which is, like, which is heaven and hell. That's what we've earned. So all have sinned. We're all in the same. We've all we're all we're all in the same terrible shape. Eternally, we've all sinned. We've all fall short. And then the penalty that we all have earned is an eternal death in hell. So that's the bad news. And we could not fix it ourselves because we are sinners. The good news is that since we couldn't come to God and could not qualify, He came to us. See, the truth is that God must punish sin because God is just and God is holy. A good judge has to punish sin or crime, I should say. If you talk about a judge down the road, a good judge has to punish crime. He's not good if he doesn't give punishments. He just says, it's okay. You can do what you want. And God is good and God is just and God is holy. So he must punish sin. But here's the thing. God is also loving he is both perfectly just about our sin, but he's perfectly loving towards us. And so he's the one who came to solve the, only prob the problem that only he could solve. There's a story about a, a judge who in a court was trying a man for shoplifting groceries. Turns out he really did it. He was guilty. And the judge, after hearing the story, said to the man, because you are guilty, I must fine you. And he gave whatever the fine was. And he says, but because you are poor, I will pay the fine for you. And the judge, according to the story, took out his wallet and paid the fine himself. What a picture of Christ. Because in his holiness, he must demand justice and punishment for sin. But in his love, he says, I will pay the penalty myself. And that's what the good news is all about. So the bad news is we are all sinners. And because we are sinners, we deserve eternal judgment. But the good news is that Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, came to pay the penalty for our sin. Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the crucial part to describe what happened on the cross. We were still sinners. We hadn't cleaned up our act, but Christ died for us. It means he died in place of us. He died taking the penalty we deserve. 
Elsewhere, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to become sin for us. So in our place, Jesus is on the cross and God the Father punished the, 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 the debt of sin that we owed by pouring out his wrath on Jesus. So you see, the issue is that we don't need to be better to be good enough to qualify. And we don't need just any religion to follow sincerely, a man-made religion. What we needed was someone to take the punishment for our sin. And that was the only cure. So Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Why? Because he's the only one that paid for our sin. And Jesus knew that when he said that, the next day he would be on the cross. And he would pay the sacrifice price for our sin. And that three days later he would arise, which proves that the penalty for sin really had been paid. The resurrection of Jesus, what we celebrate on Easter or Resurrection Day, is actually like the receipt saying, yeah, the payment really was made. And so that when Jesus said it was finished, it is finished, it really was finished. The, the payment had been made. So the good news is Jesus paid for our sin. So there's one other piece to the good news, and that is this. What do you and I need to individually do to have eternal life? Very simply, but most importantly, we need to make a choice. We need to make a decision personally to put our faith in the only solution to our sin, which is the cross. We have to decide. The good news is that we can decide to put our trust in Christ alone and we will be forgiven our sin. And we will be in heaven one moment after we die. John 3.16, we sang about it earlier. For God so loved the world, that's all of us, that he gave his only son, that's Christ on the cross, that whoever believes in him, that's our choice, will not perish, but have eternal life. That's our eternal destiny, heaven, eternal life, or perish, hell. So the crucial decision point is this. God provided the payment for our sin on the cross through Jesus, but it, was, it is our decision whether we will believe in him. And that word believe or faith is a word that's used throughout the New Testament at some 100 times as the only condition on which that will determine whether we will be in heaven or hell forever. What are you believing in matters a lot. Because so, it's not just believing that he died, but putting your faith in, believing in what Christ has done. It's not just believing a fact, it's putting your trust in the fact that Jesus paid the penalty for you. So the question is, what are you trusting in? So try to capture this, what does it mean to trust? Well, I believe there's a God, people say, but what are they trusting in to get to heaven? In October, my wife Priscilla and I will be flying to uh, uh, Phoenix because our next grandchild is going to be born there. So the way we get to Phoenix is we get on a plane. And so when we get on a plane, we have to personally walk onto the plane, sit down, and completely trust the plane to get us from Milwaukee to Phoenix. We got really nothing to do but trust the plane. We don't sit there and go, I'll try to help a little bit. Can't do that. No, we have to trust in the plane to take us to Phoenix 
And likewise, there is nothing we can do. There's nothing we can add. No baptism, good works, religion, everything that we think is good to do, and it may be good to do, is not going to help us get to heaven. But rather, we must put our trust completely and only in what Jesus did because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. So the question is, are you trusting in Christ? Or are you trusting in you? What are you trusting in? putting your reliance on. And so that's the choice that uh, each, each of us faces, each of humanity faces. In our, we, ha- we have the Bibles, we have the apps, we have you, everybody in the sound of my voice can hear, that can hear, can, can also hear the Word of God, read the Word of God, and know the truth that Jesus is the only way. So are you trusting in the only way that God provided? Um, if you haven't made that decision, I would urge you in the quietness of your heart, wherever you are right now, to simply say, Dear Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. And I realize that you paid the price for my sin. And I'm now putting my faith in you alone. I'm no longer trusting in good works. I'm not trusting in a church. I'm not trusting in being a good person. I'm trusting in Christ alone that he paid for my sin. That's what he's inviting you to do and then what we found in John 14 is true you don't have to have a troubled heart you don't have to have a troubled heart about eternity because you've settled the most dreadful worry that is true of every human being what happens to me after I die and then because you have a relationship with him remember that favorite verse that got highlighted over and over because you know him now personally now you can go to him. Do, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That becomes the privilege of the rest of your life. And yet you know then that someday when you do die, or if someday you are here when Christ returns in that rapture, you will be forever with him because he doesn't want you to have a troubled heart. Be anxious, be troubled, don't worry, be sure. Because your faith is in Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word that is sure and true. We thank you that as we read your word, it's, it, it, it's not a myth, it's not a fable, it's not something that uh, we just would hope or wish would be true, or, or it's, it's a competing view with something else that maybe it's this way, maybe it's that. It's either true or it's not, Lord. And we thank you that you revealed it to us and that you sent your son. He really walked this earth And he really was the perfect man uh, who was also the son of God. And that he bore the sin penalty that we all deserved. I pray for anyone hearing this that has not placed their faith in Christ, Lord, that you would open their hearts to the truth and that your spirit would show them the reality of both their need, their sin, and your justice, but then the goodness and love that you paid the price yourself. You took out the eternal wallet and you sent your own son And you paid the price that we deserved. So I thank you for that eternal life that you promised that that changes the way we live because it totally changes where we will be when we die. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.